1: Welcome again to all of you who are listening to uh, Next Step Leadership Podcast. Um, This comes out every Thursday, and uh, the guest that we have today, uh, Tracy Reynolds and I interviewed him last Thursday, so if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the first one, just stop for a moment, go back, listen to the first one, because you are going to love what we uh, were able to learn from him last Thursday, and we're excited about this conversation today,
0: aren't we, Tracy? Super excited. Uh, Elias Dummer, uh, gave. we learned a lot about him and kind of where things have come from. Fascinating uh, young man. And I look forward to continuing our conversation. Elias, when we, we kind of want to. St- pick up where we left off and you had talked yeah. about uh, wanting to talk about some things that you've recently been a part of uh, where it's kind of wedding uh, academics and some studies some research you guys have been tapping into and some findings that have just been uh, coming out in the recent weeks. So I'd love for us to dive into that. man. So welcome back, man.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Um, yeah. So it, it is a, you know, as a worship leader, a one-time church planner. Um, person who's been involved in leadership and business and stuff like that, I've always kind of been fascinated with why we do what we do. Um, and my somewhat cynical perspective having worked in marketing is that people often have stories for why they do what they do that are different from when you look at their behavior, what, mm-hmm. what might come to light, right? And so yeah. one of the things that's been interesting um, as a musician and weirdly enough have backed into, and I'll tell the story, have backed into this academic research project that covers 2010 through 2020 when my band was, you know, out in public and all of that. Um, it, it is this kind of question of why do we choose songs the way that we do? What are the engines and mm-hmm. machinery behind it? And what's driving a lot of that? Um, and it, the results have been pretty fascinating. So I'll, I'll walk into the project. Basically, uh, uh, Mike Tapper, Mark Jolliker, and some others did a project that came out. Christianity Today covered it called Worship at the Speed of Sound. Um, I had, he's a, they're both Canadian, and they were friends of mine through us touring. And I think I played Mike's church at one time, and we kept in touch. Um, and he knew that I'd been involved in kind of marketing and marketing analytics and that sort of thing and said, hey, you're, you're probably one of a handful of people who understands both of these worlds. Would you be interested in getting involved? And I had guest lectured at his, at, a, at the college where he teaches several times. I've done that now in a few different places, um, specifically on worship and the brain. And so we dug into kind of what might it look like for a next step of that first question, which was his first question was, are, are worship songs coming and going? Faster, more like radio singles than they did in the past? And the answer to that was yes. Um, and then the follow-up question was, why do we choose songs the way we do? And who is it that's making these songs? And what are the forces involved? So, so we, bu- we built out this in terms of methodology. We got a bunch of CCLI data, chart data. We got a bunch of uh, praise charts data. So to kind of try to cover two different facets of traditional and contemporary churches. And then we bridged that data set. And then where I, where I helped and have continued to help was in building out a large attitudinal study. So asking worship leaders, mm. how do you feel about, what, what sort of opinions do you have about the volume of new songs? What sort of opinions do you have? What role does who makes the songs play in your thinking? And then what about these specific people? And then who do you uh, look to? What, what do you look to for finding a new song and that sort of thing? And the results to that are still unpacking, um, but one of the first things which we presented a little a couple months ago over over uh, the last couple months um, was one of the most fascinating parts was just how small a group of people it is mm. who is producing the songs that everybody's singing, mm. um, and by that I mean uh, if in the music industry there's this thing called the long tail, mm-hmm. um, which also plays out in business generally. Uh, in any domain, in any arena, you have two people who are the dominant players. The, and generally speaking, the long tail is, you know, the number one has double what number two has, who has double what number three has. And that just continues so that by the time you're at number 30, they're, they're not even on the chart mm-hmm. compared to number one, right? So we took that assumption mixed together, cross-referenced the data between CCLI and praise charts, and figured out what are the top twenty-five songs in this ten-year window, mm-hmm. and it turns out only thirty-seven titles, uh, thirty-seven songs. Wow, fit fit in the top twenty-five, like hit twenty-five for the both data sets inside that ten-year window. No, wait a, the, a minute.
0: That's a you s- said thirty-seven songs in a ten-year period.
2: Yeah, ten-year 10 period. Just, let's slow that hit down number twenty-five. Yeah.
0: Wow.
2: Oh, it gets weirder. It gets weirder. Um, Of those 37, 36 were produced or platformed. So either co-written, written written directly, or prior to charting, one of four megachurches shared those songs from the stage before the song was popularized. Hmm. So Hmm. statistically speaking, that's practically 100%. So 36 Hmm. out of 37 were either platformed or popularized by or directly produced by one of four megachurches. The fifth group, which is the 37th title, is also a megachurch. Hmm. So there are no examples in a 10-year period of a song hitting the top 25 that wasn't at least empowered by essentially four independent large churches. So... It gets really, really fascinating, too, because worship leaders often look to pastors and people in their congregations for song suggestions, even if they don't think they like radio and they don't think they like this and they don't think they're they're looking to these people. Um, So you end up with all of these questions about motive and the machinery behind it all and all of that. Um, And, and, you know, Spotify said they really I don't remember the actual number, but it's like 30 or 40,000 songs a week are released every Friday. A significant chunk of those are worship songs. I know New Music Friday has a new playlist every week. And so there's obviously a huge question of selection and all of that. And so people self-filter to the things that they view as having already been successful. And there's this kind of strange question of the relationship between the commercial nature of music and the distribution platforms and that sort of thing and what we're doing when we get together and pick a set list for our liturgy on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a strange place that we're in that these large megachurches, which I'm not anti-megachurch, that's not my point. It's just that you know, the relationship between say aspiration and and this sort of thing and influence and all of these questions come into play for the people choosing our songs and the pastors making our services. And we're in an interesting place if we look at the data.
0: Well, that is absolutely fascinating. And I, as I'm thinking about uh, the local church that I serve, um, we've had a student population that is uh, they're We're really into developing them as song, singer songwriters and the right. arts. And there's, you know, 40, 50 kids that are, that are highly engaged in writing songs, but Man, I don't want to tell them this because the reality is we're not a mega church. So, right. if you're looking to to gain popularity, uh, you may have to find a different means to, to do that.
2: Yeah, well, and it's a catch twenty two. Like my band was popular enough, but we didn't succeed in in hitting the top twenty five of these lists. Gotcha. So, gotcha. so it's not that there's no space, but I think this actually could be a good thing. I mean, you think about what's yeah, happening. Well, I think I think you think about what's happening at college campuses you know, um, this year. And it's sort of like, Hey, there's a, the word that comes to mind for me is humility and the place that the platform plays, which I think over the last few years for recording artists, for pastors, for teachers, social media has done this sort of self aggrandizing thing to all of us that I think needed a good kick in the butt. And so (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all right with the idea that there's this humbling of what it Mm -hmm. means to be uh, an artist, a creator, and a liturgist in a way, someone who's bringing prayers to people—that—that mm-hmm. um, that I think is just really, really good. So, I, I, thinking on it in hindsight, at the time, ambition mixed into the whole thing, and I was trying to win at a game that there was only one way to win, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I never—I never played that way. We almost did, but I never—I never played that way, and yeah. as a result, it's like, oh, it kind of makes sense that we never pulled off the thing we were trying to do because. That, and even if that wasn't our primary motive, it was in the mix. You know, mm-hmm. everyone wants to do well at what they try to do. And looking back, it's like, oh, it's kind of a good thing that that didn't. We managed to make a life of our own, and you know, have mm-hmm. work that we're engaged in, and and all of this. Um, so it's 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 not that there's no way. It's just that if you're someone who's thinking, I need to be the number one worship leader in the world. <laughs> There are probably looking at it from a data standpoint some healthy natural obstacles to that. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> As you were enduring that personally, uh, what made you be willing to not take that route? To just I don't push so hard yeah. in that direction.
2: Yeah, probably a, a a healthy dose of stubbornness. I mean, we <laughs> we we had. A pretty good sense of our own story as the city harmonic we had come from an ecumenical church movement um, that was very orthodox in its kind of way that was kind of what we gathered around and that and putting you know our hands in the dirt and so that was that was a big part of it and so as uh, we were affected by cancer Eric the bass player in the band uh, had to take a year and a half off um, to fight leukemia survived came back out on the road um, and then he only was able to tour with us another year before realizing he just couldn't travel like that. Yeah. Um, so that that changes the dynamic and culture too. Um, so for us, the why ended up, ha- by, by necessity, we had to hold our why in front of us the whole time because mm-hmm. we were constantly adapting to some challenge that had hit us. And we were also fairly old. We were already approaching 30 when our band cracked. Now that's not old in the world, of course, but in the music industry, we were not young. Um, and so that why was just right in front of us all of the time, and it was it was unity and formation and mission. It was how do we bridge that gap for people all the time? Um, and I think there's a certain degree of pragmatism in saying, "Oh, the only way that I'm going to get to my goal is to either associate with these things or platform." And, and I don't want to hold it up like we stubbornly refused. Uh, one song was played at a massive event that's associated with one of these churches, it just didn't make their record. So yeah. had it made their record and it had charted, we, I'd be one of these statistics, you know? Um, and that's okay. But I, but I think that um, understanding the why uh, can be very humbling. Knowing what it is that I think I'm trying to do when I write a worship song, what it is that I think I'm trying to do when I write anything, and when I get up on stage and, you know, serving people well, I think is a really important part of that whole equation.
0: Well, it keeps us on mission. If we're continually asking ourselves, you know, why am I doing this? No, no, mm-hmm. really, why? Mm-hmm. And, and keep, keep pushing back into that. That's that's kind of uh, self-revealing, but it's it's critically important as a church, as a movement, as a singer, mm-hmm. as a songwriter. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this to to some, gain some kind of acclaim, or am I actually doing this as an expression of worship? And I really don't care uh, what the outcome of that is. Right. I, that's a that's a beautiful. A biblical way to, to address all of our motives. You know, God, why am I doing this? What's the real reason behind that?
2: Totally. Well, and I know in church growth circles, there's often this language of optimization and efficiency, and mm-hmm. and I think the phrase kicked around is uh, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you're presently getting. Right. Um, and I think it is very easy in music, in in church. I mean, in church leadership to optimize for what seems like a good goal and then hurt your long-term or broader goals. Um, I think of a website, for example, you can, or, or a Facebook ad or whatever. You can create a sales funnel that optimizes for clicks and get the clicks, but if the people clicking on the thing weren't the people you were trying to reach or aren't going to be the people you're trying, then you've optimized for the right thing for the wrong people. And then you've totally missed the thing, you know? Um, and so I think of music being that way too. It's like, if you, there are ways to just make money at anything. There are ways to just get butts in seats at church. The, sure. Yeah, there are ways, but if that's the only goal, then you're just going to find yourself in a rat race that is constantly looping. If, if our goal is fully orbed flourishing, human disciples of Jesus who live in their communities and change what their communities look like it may be that for a season there are fewer butts and seats it may be yeah. for a season that it's slow work it's tending a garden and not putting coins in a slot machine and yeah. and that kind of stuff that the stuff that you know the mystics and desert fathers and every christian ever has written about for 2000 years that stuff doesn't sell as well but i think we all know The fruit of that in our lives, where somebody lived that life and was vitally important to us.
1: How are you personally responding to this information? You do the research, you find out uh, the data, uh, you know these tendencies and trends, but now from a personal angle, how are you making sure that you personally are growing? You as a follower of Christ, husband, dad, an example, with an artistic mind, a, a, you know, a scholarly mind, a theological mind, but how are you personally growing in the divine romance
2: oh, in the man. middle of
1: all of that information?
2: Yeah, no, it it certainly can be a little disorienting to realize, you know, to look at something, it's one thing to have as a marketing geek or something. It's one thing to have a bunch of ideas about what might be happening in the market. It's quite another to have the proof in the pudding and to be like, "Oh darn, I was some of these things I wished were wrong and you know, aren't, um, and that that is a strange place to be. Certainly, I think uh, I don't know if it's age, you know, phase of life. Um, I think I'm leaning more and more into relationships mm-hmm. and uh, discipline in the sense of um, realizing the vitality of habit and and that uh, it it can be it can be tempting to tie everything down to some emotional. Moment in my life, it can also be tempting to dismiss those things as meaningless, and neither is true from what I can tell. So I'm I'm leaning into relationships, people, long-standing friendships, and mm-hmm. mentors I trust, and uh, trying to lean into the to best I can habit and you know daily exercises, daily practices, that sort of thing, um, and then kind of loosening my grip on outcomes. I think is a big thing for me. Um and I think I, you know when when I was involved in the church planting world and even day to day still working in the marketing space it's like controlling outcomes is a big 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 part of everyday life because so much of our fear and identity is wrapped up in it and all of that and I think I'm enjoying trying to loosen my grip on outcomes and do the work that I feel compelled to do and uh and in a sense Let it go, Um, you know, to quote the great Elsa. But,
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Trusting God with the results here. Yeah, I'm not not in in charge of that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think um, I I love what you're saying in that I'm trying, I hear you saying I'm trying to be uh, faithful I'm mm-hmm. trying to to do the things that are in front of me. Uh, I love that you're in almost every sentence. It's about relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with with others that's meaningful. Uh, another mm-hmm. word that I hear a lot is human. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's real. It's authentic. Um, it's based in reality and what we go through. And don't you find, Elias, that that's the spotter for for relationships that's where we build influences not in the great things we've done but in the struggles that we find common to life and existence
2: oh 100% i mean i think it doesn't take much to look around i mean i am a elder millennial it doesn't take much to look around and see the pain and cynicism that folks my age are experiencing uh watching so many who held themselves up to be idols Mm-hmm. Uh, fail, very publicly. I mean, I'm I was part of a large church here in Canada where that has been the case, um, and it's our entire community is reeling as a result. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that transparency and humanity and humility uh, mm-hmm. are necessary as as followers of Jesus who seek to have millennials and Gen Z and so on understand us as even remotely authentic. Whatever that word might mean, I think there there is a, a a cynicism towards earnestness and and that sort of thing that needs to go away. I think there's just a, a a necessary season of transparent humanity in our discipleship, in in what it means to disciple others and what it means to be discipled, um, which. I mean, I'm in professional posturing. You guys are too. So there's a a little bit of this, like what what does it look like to be who we are out in public uh, as fearlessly as we can um, and maybe who we are in private, as in not in public at all. I mean, there was a season this year where I haven't posted on social media for months. And as a recording artist, that might be career suicide. It might also mean I'm hanging out with, My kids and may also mean I'm investing in real life relationships and, you know, abandoning the idea that if I don't post it, it didn't happen. You know, so (laughs) so so there's there's really something to that kind of groundedness that I think is needed. Um, I'm not perfect at it at all. I I tend to towards the abstract, but um, I'm making an effort.
1: And we appreciate you uh, working with us as we're all making that effort. Tell us briefly before we end how people can find out more about you and kind of learn from you as you're learning through this
0: process.
2: Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, um, EliasDummer.com is my website. tends to be centered around music. Uh, I do a lot of, uh, and have done and will continue to do, a lot of sharing on uh, music in the brain and worship in the brain on social media. So if you search me up on Instagram or TikTok, uh, at EliasDummer, it uh, would be the place to go, um, and then worshipleaderresearch dot com is kind of the home for a lot of the kind of academic work I'm doing, uh, I, and I'm one of five partners involved in that. Six actually, there's a sociologist who's kind of adjacent to us, and so it's it's a really fascinating project. Um, worshipleaderresearch dot com is sort of the popular facing end of that, okay. where it sort of reads like news. Um, so that's kind of the way that we're going about that. So those three places would mm. be a great place to start. Oh, we will so link good. to all
0: that in the show notes uh, for sure, man. Yeah. Uh, I must say personally, thank you so much for sharing with us, and uh, uh, this has been rich, buddy.
1: Yeah, and we're thank all you learning. Guys.
0: We're learning to find
1: ways uh, to worship, to study, to write, to, to be the poets, but all to be followers of Christ in community together, um, finding ways to make sure that our next steps are our best steps.
0: Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Services, is available now at www.chrismaxwell.me or Amazon, where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their new musical releases at www.casualamericans.com or at your favorite music suppliers. We release Next Steps Leadership each Thursday. So join us again next week on The Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.